Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Greetings in the name of our Savior. It's a privilege to be here and share in God's Word, as I know you are used to receiving. And I want to think this morning about God's Word, those wonderful words of life, particularly in how sure they are and what our response, our emotions, our feelings ought to be with regard to that. It's a rather simple message, and I can give you the basic idea that the Word of God is sufficient. And we ought to be satisfied with it. All right, that's the whole message right there. <laughs> Let me direct your attention, first of all, to the Psalm 19 and several of the verses there. Remember that Psalm 19 begins with us instructions regarding the nature and its expression of what we would call apologetics. Nature gives testimony that there is a God and there is truth and there is something solid. And following the passage we'll look at is our responses and our responsibilities in light of that, how we ought to act, how we ought to respond. But right in the middle is a section in verses 7 and 8 that give a couple of couplets. Listen to these again. The law of the Lord is perfect, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You'll notice there are four main phrases there, each of them describing a characteristic of the Word of God and each a consequence of that. I want to look at those passages and explain a little about them. First of all, that word of God that we're dealing with is first said to be perfect. It's a word that means complete, entire. It's the idea of integrity. The word of God is altogether one. It's true. It's in accord with truth. It has integrity. You can trust it. It is ethically sound. So I guess the first word we can say in our thinking about these verses is completeness. The word of God is complete. Secondly, in the version I'm reading from the New American Standard, it says the word of God, the testimony of the, of the Lord, is sure. It means something that's firm, solid, uh, established, certain. It's something you can believe in. It. It's certain. It's got substance to it, firmness or certainty. It's actually the word from which we get the, the idea of amen. Oh, that's sure. Yeah, I agree with that. That's right. So the word of God is something solid and sure, and you can say amen to it. You can agree with it, understand it. Thirdly, in the third of those couplets, it says the precepts of the Lord are right. That means they're standing straight up. They're upright. They're correct. They're direct. They're free from obstacles. Morally right and honest. You can trust in them. They can be believed. 
They stand upright. So we've now figured that the Word of God is complete, it's firm and certain, and it is upright. Finally, the end of that verse 7, or 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's pure in the sense that it's clean. There's no problem with it. There's no difficulty. There's no taint. It's pure in its essence. Free from moral fault, pure, and I guess you could almost say clean cut. Word of God is clean cut. These are descriptions of the Word of God. Now, to explain the other phrases that are appended to each of those characteristics of the Word of God, I need to first of all explain to you a concept of objectivity and subjectivity. So we're going to talk for a moment here and explain what we mean by object and subject. First of all, objectivity, if something is objective, it means it exists out there as an object, it exists, it's true, it's, it's firm, it's out there as a concept. It doesn't depend on whether you know about it, it doesn't matter whether you hear about it, it doesn't matter how you think about it, it's out there, it exists, and it's objective. It's out there and it's firm. You've heard this phrase, if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's around to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, the objective part would be to say, yes, if a tree falls, it's going to cause vibrations, it's going to make a sound. I don't care whether anybody hears it or not. Objectively, there's going to be a vibration. Now, the other word is subjective. And you notice in there the word subject. It means there's a subject. Somebody is involved in doing something. There's a subject. You're involved in doing it. You're involved in perceiving it. You're involved in experiencing it. So, subjectively, it has to be somebody to hear that sound in the forest. Subjectively, you have to react or feel about it. Now, it can be a true, objective truth out there, whether you know about it or not. But when you start learning about it, and knowing about it, and reacting to it, and obeying it, then, you be, then we add the subjective part. You're now involved as a subject, and you're relating to that object. Now, I have learned in teaching Scripture that there's a lot of places in which it helps to understand Scripture if you understand objectivity and subjectivity. Let me give you a quick example. When we talk about we have salvation, someone is saved, that's objective. Eternal security is objective. Either God has saved that person or they, God has not saved that person. They're either saved or lost. That's objective. But subjective is when you, as a person or an individual, you feel like you're saved or you're doubting whether you're saved. How do you feel about it? Now there's four possibilities. You can be objectively saved and know about it and have security. I know I'm saved, I really am saved, and I know it. I experience it. That's a joyful experience. Or you can be saved and not really know for sure and be doubting. These people that aren't sure they're saved, one day they feel like it, one day they don't. Well, objectively they're saved, but they have subjective feelings that they're not so sure. Now there's of course the other two opposite possibility. That is if someone is objectively not saved, and they can subjectively know they're not saved. 
that's the kind of a guy that says, I'm not going to be a Christian, I don't, I'm not saved, I don't want anything to do with it, I'm going to go to hell with my buddies. Yeah. He knows it, he senses it. But there's also the possibility of someone who's not saved, objectively, they're not saved, but subjectively they think they are. And that's kind of an error. That's the kind of people that will appear before Christ and someday Christ will say, I never knew you. Oh, I thought I was saved. I, you mean I'm not really saved? No, you're really not saved. You never trusted in me. But, you, but I thought I was. So those are the kind of people we need to deal with and encourage and talk to about. There's a lot of people in a lot of churches and a lot of religions that think they're okay objectively, but they're not. Because subjectively they think it's okay. Well, now you understand this idea of objectivity and subjectivity. Let's bring that back to our passage of Scripture this morning. And the first truth you see in your outline is the objective truth of Scripture's sufficiency is clear. You're filling in the blanks. The first point this morning is the objective truth of Scripture's sufficiency is clear. That's the first point. There's something objective, sure, it's out there true, and that is that Scripture is sufficient. You don't need anything else to live the life honoring to our Lord. Second Peter tells us God's power has granted everything to us pertaining to life and godliness. That is, to come to life, that spiritual life, and godliness is to live out your spiritual life. We've got it all. It's all been completely given to us. And these things, Peter says, are precious and magnificent promises. In Hebrews, it begins by saying God spoke in old times by many different fashions, many different portions, in many ways. But now he's spoken through his son. He sent Jesus. That's the firm message, the objective message that is recorded in this book by the apostles. It's objective. It's firm. I don't care whether you accept it, or whether you know about it, or reject it. That's subjectivity. But the objective fact is God has expressed through his Son and given us all we need. Peter said we have that prophetic word, more sure. That word of God is sure. More sure than his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, he says. And he knows from 2 Timothy that scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate. We are equipped for every good work. That objective sufficiency of scripture is out there. It's an objective truth. Scripture is all we need. And that's why in the reading of scripture this morning, you've heard that phrase in Colossians, in him you've been complete. In him you have it all. Objectively, the objective truth of Scripture is sufficiently clear. Alright, so let's turn to the second part. That's the objective part. The second part of our outline, if you're filling in the blanks, is so that the believer's contentment, the believer's contentment is the subjective experience which will follow. So then, the believer's contentment, or we could almost say, you could write it, satisfaction. 
That's the subjective experience which will follow. And the truth is, when we have that, we know it's an objective truth we, we're dealing with. Our response ought to be to be content. We ought to be satisfied. We ought to be satisfied with having an objective scripture out there, and our response ought to be, when we enter into the subject, we ought to respond to it by being content. You know, many people are not content. We've had, in the, the congregation that I'm fellowshipping with now, uh, several times in the last year, others have come in from the outside and they, they've kind of worked their way in and tried to say, you know, are you teaching about so-and-so? That's a nice idea. You ought to be talk, telling your people about this and that. Oh, we've got some other insight that you ought, you're not getting it all. And uh, we, we want to help you out. And pretty soon we, the leadership starts scratching our head and thinking, oh, what are they trying to add to the scripture? What are they trying to bring in? Why? Because everybody wants something more. That's how cults get started. They aren't satisfied with the scripture. They give their special insights and their ideas, and they want something more, and they bring in error. It happened in Colossae. That's why in that collision, that passage in the second chapter of Colossians, it, it spoke of beware, don't let anybody deceive you by their traditions, their ideas, coming in with new ideas, something new. And that's not happening just at Colossae, that's happened down through history. There were Gnostics who said, we've got special insight, special knowledge. You folks don't know about it, but we're going to come into your church and we're going to give you the deep things, the more, the things you've been longing for. We found these secrets and it's special ideas that you ought to follow. Down through history, it's happened many, many times. And in fact, in our day and age, it's come up, subjectivity has come up in experience-oriented Christianity. Everybody wants to, don't you speak in tongues? Don't you experience, don't you have the special? Everybody wants to come up with something new. They're not satisfied. There have been groups of evangelicals, Christians, we would call them by profession, who have decided, your churches are too dull, we want to get something more deep, experiential, and there have been professing believers who have decided they want to switch to the Catholic Church, or they want to switch to a Greek Orthodox Church, where there's all these candles, and beauty, and robes, and dignity, and chanting, and music, and all these sensory experiences that are a religious experience. That's so much more, they say, and they've left the truth of Scripture, because they want those candles, they want those rituals, they want those all those experiences. There are others that have turned from the scripture and truth to things, well, we call it amusement. Now, you know the word amusement means ah, without, and muse meaning thinking. Amusements are when you kind of turn your brain off. And see, these people have decided we want to go from objective truth, these things that are presented, and we want more of an experience where we don't have to use our mind. And they want amusement, and they go to churches and places that have you, you wonder whether it's a church or not. Because they are, it's all experience, it's all without your mind, it's all feelings, it's not studying the Word of God, it's not the objective. They want just the subjectivity, just the feeling. There's a lack of objectivity, even today I notice in the study of theology. 
How many people want to take a, a deep study of a theology book? And, and I'm in the process of putting together some course material. And, and I just want to bring young men and young women back to study of the Word of God and through study of these books that I had the privilege of receiving as an education, a fine education, like your pastor did. And therefore you have something to give. But people don't particularly want to go that direction. Now, both are needed, experience and objective truth. Don't get me wrong. And just because we say we should be satisfied or content with the scripture doesn't mean we, we should always be content with ourselves. Uh, there's a time when we need to strive, as Paul says, to, to study more. Don't ever be content with your Christian life. Don't be, always be satisfied with where you are. But when you go to seek something in growth, don't go to other feelings, things outside, go to the Word of God. Study it as theology, study it as a scripture. Study the objective. The world doesn't do that. They study subjectivity. And they look for experience. And they don't have any objective truth behind it, and so they're not satisfied. If you have objective truth of this Word of God, that objectively is true, and you're when you respond to it, your subjective response will be joy and pleasure and the right kind of life. Both are needed. But this kind of dissatisfaction has worn its way into many churches. People come in and say, oh, you shouldn't be satisfied with what you've got. We've got something more. Now, they want to be teachers, and I want to speak for just a few moments here about the subject of teaching. I've been a teacher. What is teaching? How many of you are teachers? Now you say, well, I'm not an official teacher. Maybe you're teaching a Sunday school class. You will have an opportunity to teach your children. You will have maybe an opportunity to speak and teach in some activity sometime. And you will be teaching. If nothing else, you'll be teaching yourself. Now what is teaching? There's a verse that I like in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's when Paul is talking about the communion service and he uses these words. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. I think that phrase is a good definition of teaching. Now he uses two words. Both of the words have the idea of delivering something over. And first of all, he says, I received over. And then he says, I delivered her, I passed it over, I gave it over. Now that's what teaching is all about. There's something you receive, you take it, and you turn and you pass it on. Now it's interesting. Where do you receive it from? Ultimately, it has to be something objective, all the way back to the truth of Christ. Christ taught his disciples, the apostles, they wrote it in the scripture, and that truth has been carried on. We have it written, but we also receive it because those ones who studied that, the apostles and their writings, studied it and taught others, and they taught others and taught others, and it, it made it all the way up to where I received and you received that information, not just from the Word of God, but man explaining the Word of God. True 
honest teachers who hold to the Word of God and teach us. And now our responsibility is to take that teaching we've received in the Word of God and explanation through leaders, and we pass it on to make build other leaders. Now, you notice something that happens in history when you teach and pass things on. You've all played telephone and those games where something gets added. Why? Well, somebody along the line there was not satisfied. They wanted something new. They wanted something exciting, something different. And so they added just a little bit of their own idea to that. And it got transmitted to the next person and on. And everybody kind of added, they added about, well, we light candles, and we pray to this person, we pray to this saint, we add this, and we add the, this, and we add this doctor, we add this idea. And they add all these things, and it all gets tra transmitted on. Now that process, delivering over, is the word <laughs> in the New Testament that's trans we translate as tradition. Tradition means something transmitted on. You receive it over, you pass it over. That's tradition. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with tradition, except with the tradition, where does that tradition come from? What's its source? If the source of that tradition, things handed over, was Christ and the truth of the objective word of God, then the handing over is correct. But if men start adding their parts to it, their ideas, they're not satisfied with the scripture. They're not satisfied with Christ. You've got to get something deeper, something new. They will add those things, and those things get passed on. And that's called the traditions of men. It has an origin in men. Not in Christ. You look back in, in that passage in Corinthians. Oh, well, Colossians, excuse me. Turn over there to Colossians chapter 2. I want to show you that again. In the passage that was read, Colossians 2 and verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Those are the people that are not satisfied and they add their own ideas. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of this world. You see, they weren't satisfied with what they received. They wanted something new. They thought people wanted something exciting, so they added something to it. Well, what they added to was from them, from men. And it was according to the principles of this world. What you should be receiving is rather according to Christ. It ought to be the tradition starting from Christ. Now, you say, well, that, we wouldn't accept that. Let me tell you, pastors and teachers are constantly fighting this tendency of dissatisfaction. You don't know how many times a pastor will sit down during the week and think, now what can I come up with new, fresh, new ideas, beautiful, some new twist to this, some, some of them really catch people's attention, and uh, what, can I, what can I come up with that's new and exciting? That's not the way a pastor is supposed to be. That's not the way a teacher is supposed to be. A teacher is supposed to take exactly what's said there, what's taught there, and explain it objectively of what is objectively there. Don't add your subjective ideas. Those are traditions of men. And we're tempted, I've been tempted, to add something that makes it sound exciting. And someone will come along into the church and say, I've got some new idea. Look at this. Isn't this neat? And you look at it and say, they got that from the world. 
They picked that up somewhere outside. That's a tradition of man. It's not of God. Teachers, good and bad, are tempted to come up with something new. And that's why there's false teachers. Many times in the New Testament are, are given us descriptions of false teachers. These false teachers want to promote themselves. Uh, one writer has said, the false teachers coveted the role of teacher in order to be viewed as authoritative, especially as it related to interpretations of the law. Uh, well, even here in uh, the passage it says traditions of men. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. That's 1 Timothy 1.7. In fact, look over there at 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 7, 6 through 8. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion. See, it's an objective. It's fruitless. They turn aside to these things. Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions, Paul says, but we know that the law is good. The objective truth is still good. We need to be satisfied with just passing on the truth, not trying to build something new, not trying to get all wrapped up in something else. That's the reason God gave us church leaders. Mentioned in, in Ephesians chapter 4, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, that's the teaching process, so that the saints are not tossed about by every wind and doctrine. You see, if you don't have an objective truth, then your subjective response will be, oh, I want something else. I, I don't know whether I can trust that or not. And you'll be tossed around and you'll fall for these new deep, deep truths that somebody came up with. You don't need that, folks. We need just the objective truth. You can't make another person be satisfied, but you can present the truth. And their response is up to them. But for us, we shouldn't be looking for another experience, another something else to add to it. What's the application? Well, first of all, in your notes there, Anne, is not to seek beyond. Not to seek something beyond. Don't always be agitated. Be content. Be satisfied. Some people are so agitated, well, I just got to get something more out of this. No. What's written there is simple. Just learn what's there. Be satisfied with what God simply says in His Word of God. The Word of God is not complicated. There aren't special things hidden that people have to go around and, ah, oh, drum up and come up with it. I came up with a secret knowledge. No, you don't need that. The Word of God is sufficient. Seek not beyond. Just teach and preach plainly what the text says. Just stick to the text. Stick to what you received over. Pass it on. Don't contaminate it. Don't add to it. 
And don't drop anything out of it either, but pass it on just as you received it. Secondly, an application. Not to harm the pure line of teaching. Not to harm the pure line of teaching. That's this teaching process where you don't harm it. You receive it, and you pass it on just as you received it. That's the admonition to a teacher. And a false teacher is someone who alters what they receive. They want to look good. They want to add to the law. They want to add to this and that. And they want to make themselves look good. They want to be an elitist, so they tweak it a little bit and add their own part to it. Some people do that so they get their name attached to a philosophy or their reputation. You don't need that. Just pass it on, that pure line of teaching. And finally, do not be agitated. I want to direct your attention back to Psalm 19. Come back there to those phrases, those couples again in Psalm 19. Do not be agitated. You know, sometimes in some of the Psalms, the writer says, I was agitated. I looked at these sinners and they were prospering. And I was envious of them and it bothered me. And I said, Lord, why don't... But you know, every one of those Psalms ends up in a resolution where the psalmist says, but then I looked to the Lord. Then I thought about his promises. I looked to the end of what those sinners are heading for, their judgment, and what it is that God has provided me. And the psalmist always ends up with resolving, saying, ah, oh, I'm satisfied with what I've got. Sometimes the psalmists start out their psalm by saying, Lord, why? I'm asking you, Lord. You don't need it. He eventually gets to the point where he is satisfied and he resolves saying, but I look to their end. I look to what God has done. He's sure. He's fast. He's firm. I'm satisfied. I'm content. The same thing with your money. If you know you've managed well and you have resources, be content. God will always supply your needs. He's told us he'll always supply our real needs. And so we should be content. Not agitated, not looking beyond, not be agitated. So then, as we finish, look again at those couplets in Psalm 19. Number one, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It's perfect, that's objective. And what's the subjective, what's our response? Restoring the soul, reviving us. Making our life alive again. That's our respective response, our subjective response. That's the experience of a believer. If the law of God is perfect, we're revived. If it's complete, it gives us life. It gives us what we need. Secondly, it says, the testimony of the Lord, Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now the reason. The subjective response is taking a simple person, which means an uneducated, a naive youngster that doesn't know, and it makes him, takes the simple and makes him wise. That's our response. You want to grow. Growth is an experience, a subjective experience. Learning and teaching doesn't end when you just graduated from high school. We learn and grow all our life long. Thirdly, 
The precepts of the Lord are right, they're upstanding, they're just, they're, they're upright. Rejoicing the heart, joy. We can enjoy things, we can enjoy life. We're not agitated. It gives us joy and rejoicing, as opposed to the world's empty emotionalism. You know, we hear about all the time people going around saying, Oh, phrases, you can do it. You're great. You're awesome. You know, that doesn't really satisfy a youngster to be told he's awesome. Because the objective reality behind it, he knows what's in his heart. He knows what kind of scoundrel he is. And he knows he fails his spelling test. And he knows he can't get those arithmetic problems down. So just telling him he's awesome is trying to build a subjective experience based on nothing that's objective and solid. If you teach him and he learns and he grows, then he knows that he can rejoice. He can enjoy it. But simply to tell somebody, build up a, a, a response by encouraging, oh, you're awesome, you can do it. It's not based on your thing. They're going to know the difference. They're not going to be swayed. But to know that the Word of God is upright and firm, there's objective reality, and to understand it gives you enjoyment. I enjoy studying the Scripture. Reading a good book written by a good author on the Scripture, studying it, comparing the Scripture, I just enjoy that. I think you would too. I know you do. Finally, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Pure, clean. It lightens the eye. The idea there is give you discernment. You can see things the way they really are. You have discernment. When you're growing, we want to grow in discernment. We can enjoy an experience, but sometimes you look at it and think, I have to discern what's real here and what's not. Do you want reviving, growing, enjoying, discerning? It's because we have an objective word of God. It's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. And it gives us a reviving, growing, enjoying, discerning life. If you're a teacher, be faithful in how you teach. If you're just a believer, study this word as objective truth. Your response will be, be satisfied, you'll be content, and you'll be looking forward to seeing your Savior. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the sure word of God. It's characterized as pure, upright, complete, pure, firm, everything that we could possibly need as something objective out there. And we know it exists out there. Now, Lord, when we study it and interact with it as subjects, our response is, we're satisfied. We're not looking for new things to come along the pipe. We're satisfied with what you have given us. Lord, give us satisfied hearts because of your objective work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.